The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. One of the great days in the history of college football. We have the final set, and still there is tradition to be on display the day after New Year's. This is the College Game Day podcast for New Year's Day, January 1st, 2023. Happy New Year to all of you. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here, and uh, Pete sort of bleary-eyed. Uh, both of us are in Pasadena for the Rose Bowl, Penn State, and Utah coming up tomorrow. And But still sort of riding the wave of euphoria from what we saw yesterday, a day unlike any other in the college football playoff era. We've had individual semifinal games that perhaps would measure up to those. In my judgment, certainly Georgia and Oklahoma did in that uh, uh, 2017 season, Rose Bowl. But never a day, never a day like that and where you, where you had the drama, an upset, a near upset, uh, last second plays on both. It was it was a remarkable day for the entire sport. It felt to me like one of those great Thursdays you get every five years in the NCAA tournament where yeah. it's like, oh, my God, number 14 seed Purdue's losing. Oh, my God, this is happening. Like, like what, where do you go? Like, but except it was just two games. Mm -hmm. Um, they were both to me, it was visual whiplash. Um, so we were obviously in Atlanta. We did game day there. Uh, TCU goes up three scores. We're watching in the office and, you know, I have to cover the game that where we are and I want to go on the sideline. I want to see people like a big part of my job is going to go shake hands and and just kind of get catch buzz and see if I can catch any injury news or whatever. And so from the time I left our office, I walked across the sideline, stopped maybe once or twice to chat. And I stopped and I talked to uh, Herb Vincent from the SEC. Mm -hmm. And in that time, it went from a three-score game to a three-point game. And I was just like, what? Like I couldn't even bend my mind around how that how that happened. And my favorite scene, you know, I think I probably said this in the pod before. I always think back, like, what am I going to remember about this day ten years from now? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When there's thousands of other games that go through, and your mind is clouded. One will be. Half an hour before kick, Ohio State specialists are on the field. The coaches are on the field, kind of loose, you know, goofing around. And everybody is standing still, not working, not moving, not coaching, not warming up, craned necks, looking up at the big screens in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, seeing if Michigan is going to lose. Because, you know, you, yeah. can, you can't be part of that Ohio State-Michigan you know, Michigan rivalry and just not care when they're about to get upset in a, you know, just a giant, wacky, marvelous playoff game. So, uh how did you consume TCU Michigan Reese? Because I don't think I saw you. You didn't. Um, this is a quirk of my personality, Pete, which is not particularly attractive nor social. Um, I love the fact that we're all together for those semifinal games, but it's a bit overwhelming when I really, really want to watch the game. And because of that, I was able to, with the help of our great security uh, guy, Paul Daly, who uh, oh, lives in the great. Atlanta area, a uh, former New York City police officer, and also with Foo's help, uh, our great production coordinator, they found a quiet room. And Desmond and I watched. Now, I would say I haven't talked to Desmond about this, 
Um, I would, I'm quite certain he would prefer that I had not been there, but you can't have everything. So, uh, <laughs> so, but I did try to be extraordinarily respectful and just quietly watch, which is, which is what I prefer to do when I really sure. want to watch the game anyway. And I wanted him to be able to enjoy it and follow his alma mater. You know, here's the thing, you know, and I, I just want to interrupt that for a second Yeah. about when people, you know, watch our show and they say, you know, Kirk Roots for Ohio State, Desmond Roots for Michigan, David Roots for Georgia. Well, of course they do, but that doesn't keep them from being fair and being able to analyze. And I think there are even occasions when um, all former players are almost too hard on their former teams at different times just because they want to avoid that appearance of favoritism or whatever. So Desmond was quietly watching when that rally that you talked about came. There was certainly some energy and some vibes, but you know, I try I wanted to give him his space and be respectful, but I was also selfish enough that I wanted to watch the game in peace. You know, not that anybody yeah. bothers me. It's just like there's so much commotion. There are different things. Oh, yeah. Different no. things. And I I don't know. That's just how I am. Like I don't um I don't go to big Super Bowl parties because I want to watch the game. You know, I don't I don't like watching games in bars. I don't like watching the NCAA tournament on Thursday, you know, with a bunch of people. I just want to watch the games. And I know I'm a nerd. I get that. But that that's how I consumed it. But it was whether you're in a small group, big group, a tiny room with a television, we had difficulty getting to work right at kickoff. Um you know, that was uh that was the way I consumed it. A quick story about early on. We we had problems in the room for whatever reason. It was stuck on this weird video game channel on, the, and, and there was no remote in the room. So I'm watching on my phone. And I told Des, I said, "Hey man, it's kicking off. I, I'm going to go brave it in the office for a while." So we we start walking back, and in the time when we walk out, Donovan Edwards made that long run. Well, I saw the end of the run on one of those giant screens in mm -hmm. one of the suites. So Desmond and I stopped outside that whatever that is you, you know the one right beside the field sure. that giant yeah. speed of mercedes bent and there's a giant screen and we watched the first drive including the botched uh fourth down play there and uh you know so <laughs> we consumed it in a in a weird way but it was a it was a sensational day and you know it was it was marred because uh the officials did a horrible job in the first half in my judgment of the michigan tcu game and all of it wasn't the fault of the um you know the shared replay thing, or the or the crew at, at the game itself. A part of it is something that I know Steve Shaw is going to get mad at me about, but I feel like the officials have become so tentative and so reliant and so worried about what the reaction is going to be if they don't get it precisely right that they're hesitant. In this case, the officials on the field initially made the right call on the on the long touchdown that was overruled right before the Michigan fumble. It was mm -hmm. a touchdown, and mm -hmm. it should have been. Uh, uh, officiated as such then they go back and they go against their uh indisputable video evidence credo and overturn it i think yeah. there's too much on it was too bad that didn't cost that didn't cost michigan the game they made plenty of other mistakes tcu did too tcu played better and deserved to win the game but yeah. uh you know it was there was a lot going on during that time and it was it was it was thrilling and we hadn't even kicked off the main event yet so and again, admitting I didn't watch it as closely because I was on the field and, and sort of when I left the office, I was like, well, this game's kind of over. Like, yeah. And so yeah. uh, like but then obviously I would crane up and watch in my neck. And then I watched the last uh, 
the last three minutes on my phone with a couple people on the sidelines. So you don't have the benefit of the announcers, you know, but there, there will be a moment standing on the sideline with a couple different people where we're watching the game. We're watching it unfold and we're like, wait a minute, does Michigan have three timeouts or none? Like, does that, cause it was just so jarring. And then you see the image of Jack Harbaugh, which will live on forever. You know, what are you doing? You can see him mouth from this, from the stands. Mm-hmm. Um, how did, how, you know, I, how was watching in a quiet room? Are you, are you immediately second guessing that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I, I think as yeah. you watch it, you're second guessing it and, and wondering about how to maximize the amount of time you would have yeah. at the end. Sure. I mean, that, because that's all you're trying to do at that point. Yes. Um, you know, there, yeah, there were some, there were some clock management things. There were some getting out of character things with the first, the Philly special, uh, type Ooh. play or light play on the goal line. And even after the play I referenced earlier that the officials missed in my judgment and should have been scored a touchdown. The next play where Michigan fumbled and TCU recovered, I felt like was a little bit of a cutesy play by lining up the big back and just trying to slip it to him quickly to pull back as opposed to just, just running the football, you know? And yeah. so I thought there were a few things where Michigan got out of character and, and then maybe even by that time when there was some questionable clock judgment, maybe, there was a, a subliminal panic that had set in a little bit, in, you know, in some way. Yeah, no, and and that makes uh, and that makes some sense. I mean, look, it, and it'll be like this when we talk about the second game too. There's a hundred what ifs that could have, you know, that, that could have changed that, that could have changed the game. Um, the thing that bothered me about the Philly special more than anything, and again, you you know me well enough. I'm not Captain Analytics, right? I'm not mm-hmm. a buy the book guy. I respect it, and, and numbers are a piece of information, but not that. But I, and I don't know these numbers off the top of my head. But so you're you're on the two at that point, and it's mm-hmm. fourth and goal. Say you get a yard and you don't make it. The you know part of the analytics and why people go on the fourth down that that deep in the zone is you can you know when you're first and goal. I mean, I'm sorry, when you're first and ninety nine, for lack of a better way to say it. The, the odds of scoring on those drives are just minuscule, right? And if you're TCU that supposedly doesn't have, you know, the push up front, now TCU is a very good O-line. I'm not saying they're, they're, they're big. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying yeah. that, but if you're, if you're, you're going up against the number three scoring defense in the country, you should say, okay, if we don't score here, we're going to have them run into the line three times and we're going to get, catch a punt at the 50 right. um, and, and go. And the Philly special gives them, eight yards to breathe which is acres of, of you you know you could you could run your whole offense from the eight and you right. can run an eighth of it from the one and i think that's the the thing that troubled me the most about that play was that not only was it clunky and poorly designed and gimmicky and it went away from your identity but it it eliminated the worst case scenario and made it somehow even worse and, and i thought it gave a psychological boost to tcu even oh. i'm sure i'm sure it wasn't uh exactly um described precisely this way or you know pontificated this way but i thought that there was a feeling that if you are the bigger tougher team if you're going to bring the big 10 to the big 12 and you get fourth and two on the goal line and you've got to resort to that to try to score against us well then maybe you don't believe what you've been saying you believe and i think it gave a jolt of energy through tcu because they're like all right you know what they don't think they can run over us and and clearly they couldn't so I, I didn't like it because of that. There was one other little thing, you know, I think a lot of people thought initially, why didn't he just throw the ball away? And they would have had it. He can't because he wasn't the quarterback. So it would have been uh, would have been grounding back there anyway. So he was, you know, he was kind of kind of stuck with it at that point. 
um, you know, stuck with it or throw it into the end zone and risk the interception, which would have been, you know, about the same anyway. But, you know, it just, it was, it was, that's why I think that the, while this Ohio State loss to Georgia is going to hurt forever for the players and the fans, I think that in, there are some, there's some level of when another great team just makes one more play or the Stetson Bennett has a virtuoso fourth quarter in which I saw oh, on the did football he focus grades that he had. Now I prefer the QBR because it's ours. And it's also on a scale of 100 instead of an odd 158.3. But he had a 158.3, which is a perfect passer rating in the fourth wow. quarter. I saw that the, the our friends at PFF put out. It was 10 for 12 or whatever. So, and you know, through the, the best ball he threw and the one that got him going was that one to Bowers across the middle that was, the window was about the size of a keyhole and he was daring oh, enough to throw it, um, you know, not worried about the consequences. But I think when you lose like that, it's painful. You hate it forever. You wish the field goal had gone through. You wish you'd gotten 10 more yards to make the field goal closer. You wish you would, wouldn't have had a DB fall down on a long touchdown. Thousand little moments you wish had just gone your way instead of not going the other way, you know? Marvin Harrison hadn't gotten hurt, whatever it might be. For Michigan, I think there's going to be more rather than that wistful pain of what might have been. I think there's going to be some pain of regret because of approach, because of the things we've talked about, and because the turnovers happen, but they had three in that game. Pete, they only had seven all year, you know, all season, and they made three in that game. So they did a lot of things that were out of character for them. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, uh, Ohio State's going to have uh, both. Are, it's going to be painful for both forever. But I think there, for Ohio State, it's going to be sort of the pain of, boy, just one more thing had gone our way. And for Michigan, it's going to be, did we do our – not did we play our hardest. They certainly played their tails off to get back in the game. But did we did we play our best? Did we Did we do what we do? Did we stay true to our philosophy? And I think that – there were instances in which they did not. And I think because mm -hmm. of that, there's going to be some regret there. But anytime you talk like this in a public forum, it makes it sound like that you're saying TCU didn't deserve to win or that you're overlooking TCU's mistakes, which they made plenty of them too. Oh, I mean, they had three turnovers yes. also. So it was, you know, TCU deserved to win. I thought TCU, um, I thought TCU was a team that played better. And you've heard me say this before. The best team doesn't always win. Your task is, as Lou Holtz used to say every week, your task is to be the best team in the stadium that day. And TCU was the best team in the stadium that day. Best in game brought to you by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Quick pick, flash forward. Give me your 90 seconds on this title game matchup. We'll dive into it. We'll do the matchups. We'll do everything. What's your What's your gut? Uh, that that. Uh, sorry for my TCU friends. That Georgia wins pretty convincingly. Now Georgia has been Georgia has been has some injury problems uh, at linebacker. And I've lost, you know already lost Nolan Smith and they, and they lost they lost the guy who replaced him last night. You know how's that going to be? Uh, Kendra Miller is uh, you know wait and see um, for TCU. That would be a very important thing for them. Um, TCU certainly has. Uh, has the ability to do some of the things that Ohio State did to them. And Quentin Johnston, uh, you know, is a, is a pretty fair receiver in his own right, you know, much like Marvin Harrison, who was having having a big game before he was hurt. And, you know, Fleming and Abuka were both tremendous, and the other receivers at TCU can do similar things. Duggan is probably, not probably, Duggan is a better runner than Stroud, though Stroud was terrific for the first time in his career at, you know, moving around and uh, picking up first downs with his feet. Braxton but, um, Miller. Yeah, I, I thought you might have gotten carried away with that one. I mean, Braxton Miller. Could, I mean, you know, I know you're joke, being prestigious. I know. Yes, but, I, uh, I was, was, but compared was, to what he'd was, been, he felt like right. It, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. No question about it. So I think um, my initial reaction, the line's 13, 13 and a half. I sort of suspect that that's big? how, yeah, I think that's how it's going to wind up somewhere in that yeah. neighborhood. So mine, and I wrote a paragraph of this in my column on ESPN.com, was like, anyone who just writes off TCU right now just simply hasn't paid attention this season. That's it. Like, they just haven't paid attention this season. TCU is dynamic enough, talented enough, and really different enough. Mm -hmm. And the the resiliency factor there is unmatched. They may be the most resilient team I've ever covered in college football, considering the different ways they've figured out to win games, even the game they lost this year showed unbelievable resilience. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, there just is a, a, a juice there and yeah. an energy there that can't be denied. So anybody who's just like, I'm not going to watch, they're going to, they're going to mount over. Oh. No, they were just supposed to get mount over. And, and you know did. that team, that team was designed to mount them over. And it's interesting. We talked about this on the game day call a little bit today, and I do think this is going to factor in in the playoff going forward. Georgia is beat up. I mean, mm-hmm. Georgia's strength and identity offensively is 12 personnel. They play 60% of their snaps in it. And that was because Darnell Washington is one of the most distinct mismatches, the six foot seven, 270 pound tight end in college football. You know why? Because there's nobody else like him. So mm-hmm. you, it is literally a mismatch because there is no match for how to do it. You take him out, and certainly Brock Bowers is still dynamic, but you don't have that guy who you say, okay, you're running nickel on the field. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to Zamboni you down the field <laughs> because you can't block that. So I, and again, I'm not saying Washington's definitely out, but when you come back, uh, you know, with a walking boot and a crutch, it's, it's hard to imagine in eight days, you're going to be, you're going to be a hundred percent. And in Georgia's banged up at linebacker too. Um, and also we had another Jalen Carter, pretty much no show. He did yeah. tip that ball in the second half. But on that play, it wasn't like he got penetration and tipped the ball. He was basically blocked out of the play and stuck his hand up. Now, all the credit to him. It was a huge play. Uh, but like that said, this wasn't the game wrecker of Tennessee, Jalen Carter. This was the apathy, ambivalent. This was the Jalen Carter that will keep NFL scouts worried at night. Like, are we going to draft this guy? And he's just going to kind of be 
pedestrian. And that's what he, and, and again, I love Jalen Carter. I wrote all no, about no, Jalen I, Carter yeah. last week. I mean, there, but his performance, if you're going to be the number one pick in the draft, you can't no show a playoff game. And he no showed mm-hmm. a playoff game. Yeah. So they, that, that's my quick way to say, I don't say I'm picking TCU, but like there are distinct paths to victory. And it just, if you, if you were just writing them off, you have not been paying attention and shame on you. Cause it's been a wonderful ride. Not yeah, it, it's, but, yeah. I, and I'm not writing them off, even though I do think yeah. the line's probably about how it's going to end up. The one thing I would, I would say, Pete, about Carter, I thought Ohio State had a pretty good plan on him. Now, I agree with you in terms that he he did not disrupt and make disruptive plays. And, you know, my whole thing had been, if you really believe in Ohio State, prove to me that you can block 88 and 78, Stackhouse, who I also like. And they did that. Ohio State proved that last night. They did a good job on them. But, you know, in, in talking to Pollock afterwards, there's a fair number of times that Carter won enough but they had a lot they had a lot of help on him. I spent a little time kind of watching that in there and they, you know, they they made sure he was accounted for. Now, I I agree with your point on that stage. You're going to need to, you know, need to go and finish, you know, a few more plays, but it did just from a personal uh, braggart standpoint. You know, I always try to be fair and listen to the other side. There was a big debate about taking Jalen Carter number 1 overall in the draft. And I sort of emphatically stated in the office before I departed to the room with Desmond yesterday. Yes, you um, did. I was like, you take Jalen Carter number two if you want to. That's fine. But I said, if you don't take Will Anderson first, you've messed up the draft. You you screwed up. And I'll I'll I'll, st- that, I'll die on that hill. That's he that's, he should go first. And now maybe it's not the way the NFL is. Maybe they're going to take a quarterback, whoever. Um, you know, Pollock even said he felt like C.J. Stroud because he answered some of the things last night that people had questions about that now mm-hmm. he was in play, if not the number one guy, because you know what he can do on time, clean pocket accuracy, uh, oh, yeah. size, big enough, all those things. The question was, can he, can when he gets off schedule, what can he do? And he did a lot last night, so maybe he put himself into play too. But I will, I will stick to the fact you take Will Anderson first or you messed up. How about the ball Stroud threw when they were backed up in their own end zone and it was probably traveled 30 yards in the air to Harrison and maybe missed his fingers by six inches. Do you remember that play? Yes. Yeah. Um, it would have been from the far side where, you, where you're standing. And it was just one of those, like, that is an unbelievable throw. Mm-hmm. It was not complete, but it was like, oh, my <laughs> God, he fit it in, you know, he fit it in a, a, a mail slot window. Yeah. And it was like just out of his reach. No, he showed some moxie. And look, there's the NFL scouts have some toughness questions about him. And and the the reluctance to run was part of that a little bit. So good for good for. I mean, he had it. That was an epic performance. Four touchdowns, three hundred some odd yards. He was he was on in a very very uh, real way. I'm just gonna add on Carter quick. I give Georgia credit. Will Muschamp credit. But Carter obviously, even when he's off, is going to gather a lot of attention. And again, I'm not going to throw too many roses at Will, Will Muschamp for giving up 41 points. But they did find creative ways. To, to get to Stroud in different blitz situations where they brought a, a corner blitz once with a lot of success. There was a linebacker blitz early. There were some fun different pressures, and that is the power of Carter even when he's middling in his personal effectiveness is he's going to create avenues and lanes in places that you can't, you can't cover everything. So I did think at the very least that even though he was not dominant, they were allowed to pick spots and uh and, and make big plays off of the attention he got. 
I haven't seen the blitz percentage yet that Georgia used, but in uh, preparation for that this week, they, you know, typically because of Carter's dominant stack house and even guys yeah. they've had years, years gone by, um, they, they don't, they're not a blitz happy team, but their percentage goes up significantly when they face elite quarterbacks. Uh, they mm. had season highs the two times they faced Bryce Young last year. They had a season high this year against Hendon Hooker. And whatever you might think of the draft stock of Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, they also blitz more against those guys. So I haven't seen it last, uh, for last night. But the times they did get to him, it was usually with that, with that type of pressure that you're talking about, perhaps playing uh, playing off of that. And it kind of brings to mind, and I know we want to focus on the semifinals, but just the way the game's played now. And Ryan Day leading up to this felt like he had to have 45, 50 points. I'm sure this, you know, makes Kirby and Will Muschamp particularly sort of sick to their stomachs that the 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 boa constrictor method really is just that's an ineffective uh, thing or or relic. Maybe is a better way to say it in in uh, modern football. You almost have to have a defense if you're going to be an effective defense. It's what we would term opportunistic by creating negative plays or turnovers because you're just not going to be good enough in the back end to stop all of the the quick game and the the space you have to cover and the uh, route concepts. You're just not going to have uh, enough NFL level uh, DBs to do that against NFL quarterbacks and receivers or future NFL quarterbacks and receivers like you see when you play Ohio State. Um, you know, I think Stetson's going to be in the NFL one way or another. But when you face someone with Georgia's talent or or TCU's wide receivers or um, Alabama, you know, in, in recent years, you're not going to you're not you're not going to hold them to 16 anymore. Not very often. You might on a you might on a day when they're off a little bit and, and they throw it to you a couple of times, but more times than not, that's not the way to go. And it's sort of a sort of an interesting thing to watch Georgia. Uh, just because I thought Georgia maybe still could after we watched the Tennessee game, and it was a sure. they could not last night, you know, against yeah. uh, against Ohio State, and and they I'm will. not sure. I don't think they can do that to TCU either. They're going to have to rely on negative plays, turnovers, all those types of things. Yeah, there were a lot of coaches when I did the two scouting things on Georgia this year who were like, "Oh, they're like 2011 Alabama. They're like 2012 Alabama." And maybe their football has changed a lot since then. And perhaps they're this iteration of mm -hmm. that, if that makes sense, where mm -hmm. they can they can squeeze some people and they can suffocate some people, but you better be built to beat people the way they won last night. Like you better have the you better have the weapons. Um, you you better have the explosiveness and you better have some diamondism. If you don't, it you know, you're you're going to be left behind. And uh give them credit. They uh, they figured out Munkin had some really fun stretches play calling early. He didn't run the ball a lot, which I'm sure, you know, had some griping. But boy, they were I mean, I remember one one possession, Reese, they were five wide. Mm -hmm. And then in the without subbing, they did like a complete bunch formation. And it was it it just like it just kept changing and evolving. It was it was it was cool. It was it was fun to uh it was fun to watch. And and, and then Jim Knowles, first three possessions of the third quarter, they stoned him. There was yeah. a nice field goal in there, but they stoned him. And it was Tyleek Williams from the middle and a bunch of sort of ham and egg defensive veteran defensive linemen for Ohio State who aren't, you know, your all-American draft pick guys, you know, but showing the value of having good veteran depth at that position. They came in and made plays and stopped the run and, you know, 
it was a little bit, they looked like they played a little bit more zone then. And, uh, and all of a sudden, like it was, it was stopped. So it was, there was just, there was just a lot. It was Jim Knowles spoke in, in the locker room after or, or a bunch. And you could tell this game was, was going to haunt him for a very, very, very long time. Cause you just needed one stop, one yeah, tip yeah. ball, something. You just needed one there in the fourth quarter. It, you know, it's really, I'm looking at the box score right now because I thought I was going to make a point and I'm going to have to talk myself out of it. I think it was because the number of big plays, it felt as if that game had a bunch of snaps, you know, the, uh, the, each offense getting a hundred, you know, close to a hundred snaps. That it wasn't like that at all. Now they both put up yards as if they, if they did, but the passing stats were identical in terms of completion percentage. Um, the only turnover of the game was the interception that Stetson threw. Um, you know, both of them, you know, Ohio State had 467 yards. Georgia had 533. You know, every, everything was everything was really even. But the point I was going to make is that in this modern football, too, defenses get worn down late in, mm-hmm. the, late in the game with the number of snaps. It wasn't number of snaps last night, but it might have been chasing big plays. You know, <laughs> because there yeah. were there were a number of explosive plays for for both teams, and certainly that wears down a defense too. The game the game's just just changed so much that you have to have that's that's why the NIL collectives are are willing to go after Drake May or whoever else you know to uh, to bring that level of play to your offense because if you're going to compete and try to win championships, you're going to have to be able to score like that, and the two teams that will play for the national championship can do that. Yes, I think uh, I think that's uh, that that's very fair, and I think that it's exciting to me. Have we had a Big Twelve team play in the championship game? No, that's Since that was the first Big Twelve playoff victory in the college football playoff era. Okay, so if you yeah, had, that makes sense. So if you had Riley on your bingo card as being a winning coach in a playoff game, we'll have to. We'll have to check and make sure you had Garrett rather Garrett than Lincoln, uh, Lincoln's younger brother, yes. you'll see at TCU. So then this is the first Big 12 team to play for a title since Correct. the Mac Brown, Rose Bowl. Colt got hurt, Sally. Colt got hurt. <laughs> Colt didn't get hurt. Yeah. I always laugh about that game because Garrett Gilbert came in and actually rallied them in a, yeah. you know, in a, in a, in a little bit of a way. And then Garrett Gilbert was supposed to be next at Texas. His dad played in the NFL. He was, you know, great local quarterback and then Garrett Gilbert lasted like 10 years in the NFL so Mm -hmm. he he kind of washed out of there went to SMU June was still there he did all right anyway I just completely went down a rabbit hole and sabotaged this whole conversation no you didn't no that's an interesting one yeah but but it 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 was just uh that that was like a moment in time where a big 12 team playing for the title was very normal um because Stoops had done it at Oklahoma Mac had done it a couple times and Again, we often say we don't root for teams, but we want the sport to be healthy. I think this is very good for the sport's health as a five-league operation to have, you know, TCU in this game, the Big 12, they just got their big TV deal. It just gives credibility and viability for that league going forward in a way that nobody could have projected. They were they were unranked to go in the season and they had earned it being unranked quite mm-hmm. frankly you know yeah. and so i don't want to hear any more whining about people not liking preseason polls you can win your way up there man you just can you always yes. have been able to yes. uh, people uh, 
because the question always is, who would you rank ahead of them? Well, TCU moved up to the point where they were able to lose their conference championship game and yes. still make the playoff and now still get into the national championship game. And do, I think your point is a good one about the Big 12 because it would not have been particularly helpful to the Big 12 as an entity if the Big 12 team to make it this year or next would have been Texas or Oklahoma when they're Correct. on their way to the SEC. Yes. But now yes. you have you have TCU who can be can be viewed as the cornerstone program in football. This moment in time is the Big 12 is in this transition, a team that is playing for and perhaps will win a national championship, uh, you know, a week from Monday night. Yeah, and I would argue if Texas or Oklahoma made it, it would have emphasized the Big 12's weaknesses going forward mm -hmm. because it would be like, here's the team playing for the title and they're not going to be in your league in a couple of years. Whereas now it's, here's the team going forward the two teams who are not going to be in your league, one it was below average this year and the other was underwhelming. I think that would probably be the best way to say Oklahoma was bad and Texas was, you know, Texas is not back, right? That would probably be the best way to the best way to sum those uh, to sum those up. And in the path forward for the Big 12 is there's a there's a bell cow now and TC will be the bell cow until proven otherwise. But if we had said in the preseason on one of our pods, and we probably did some kind of Big 12 preview, and you said, Pete, give me five teams that could win the Big 12 and play for the title, I'm not sure I would have picked TCU among one of the five. Well, and remember, they didn't. They played for the title. Yeah. They didn't win the Big 12. You know? so that's, I think, true. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. And, yes. uh, yeah, but, Kansas I mean, State. I remember we both really liked Kansas State. You did yeah. especially. The schedule scared you. Baylor won the league the year before, so there's mm -hmm. obviously an argument for them. Oklahoma, I think, was picked to win the league because they always win the league. Yeah. Um, Texas obviously had the Quinn Ewers hype, and Bijan was one of the five best players in the sport this year. So there were certainly plenty of, of just different ways you could have gone. Oklahoma State, was a you know a nose hair away from going last year. They had Spencer Sanders back, so there was just uh, and, and I think what the the greater point of all that is like going forward. There's a lot of really strong programs who are going to keep that league in the national conversation. Are they going to have a, a team in the title game every year? Of course not. But the fact that they can do it is just such an unbelievable credibility boost. And it'll you know now after TCU use some relatively innocuous quotes to get uh, all riled, riled up from J.J. McCarthy. Now maybe uh, Sonny Dykes, the Citadel comment, uh, will come back to will come back to rile up George. They say, no, we don't get a break in our league. We don't get to have the Citadel week, week 10. We draw Texas. So I don't know. That might, might add to the fun leading up to it. Yeah. How, how about this, Pete? 2017, Sonny Dykes is an analyst. Uh, yeah. for TCU and Gary Patterson because Cal fired him. Cal yeah. fired Sonny Dykes. That does not seem to have worked out very well. Now, culture fit, lifestyle fit, is was he better at SMU and TCU? Yes, of course. Everybody understands that. But <laughs> there have to be some sturdy Golden Bear fans that are looking at going, after what we've endured the last – in the aftermath, really, we fired a guy who might win the national championship, huh? So. Yeah, and, and you literally you look at what he did at SMU. Historically for SMU, it was unbelievable, right? Because SMU mm -hmm. was just left in a ditch. June Jones brought them out of a ditch, and he got them to be a competitive team in the AAC. Um, he burst out to 10-3 to, to and 19, 
seven and three in 2020, which I want to say they lost their last three games. And then they were eight and four in, in 21. So Sonny Dykes did a great job at SMU, but there was nothing about his job at SMU. This wasn't like Urban Meyer at Utah, where you're like, that guy's going to go win national titles. You know what right. I mean? Like it was just yeah. so strikingly, uh, so strikingly obvious. And I, I think that Cal firing Sonny Dykes says more about Cal than it did about oh, Sonny yeah. Dykes. Oh, no, like, no I mean, question. It just, yeah. it just yeah. a, a place that's had poor leadership for a long time. I'm not saying the current leadership is, but it's just Cal has been lost in the wilderness, doesn't have an identity. You, you hear all these coaches talk about alignment, all right? Mm -hmm. Well, the alignment at Cal is not going to be the kind that gets behind a coach. Um, I mean, look what Jeff Tedford did at Fresno this year. And yeah. again, some of, some of these guys we saw with Gary Patterson, sometimes your message doesn't go, sometimes you cycle out. And then somebody comes in, look, look what Mike Elko did at Duke this year. You want to talk about a, a coaching job we probably haven't talked about enough on this podcast. I mean, that was an unbelievable thing. Now, is it David Cutcliffe a bad coach? Nope. David Cutcliffe's a good coach. Did you do a good David job Cutcliffe there. did some remarkable things at Duke before it cycled down work. on him. It yes. was great. Yeah. But sometimes when you get into year double mm -hmm. digit, eight, nine, ten, your message gets stale. The program gets stale. You spend more time and energy focused on the things you don't have than you do. And Somebody comes in with an with an energy jolt and and just gives you an adrenaline pop, and that's what you saw at TCU this year with a lot of the same players, and that's what you saw at Duke this year with a couple portal ads, a little creativity, but it's the same quarterback, a lot of the same you know guy, a lot of the same players. Uh, all of a sudden, go out and win nine games, and they lost to Georgia Tech in overtime. They could have they could have had ten wins at Duke this year. Like it's it's unbelievable. But I think good coaches to, who stay somewhere for too long. And hard jobs and TCU. I'm not TCU is a very good job in the Big oh, Twelve yeah. right now, but I don't think it's an easy job, right? Like yeah. that's a that is a hard, hard job. And and Sonny did his best work, and really, he was early on. We're going to own the portal, and we're going to own mm -hmm. kickbacks to Texas from Dallas. Uh, yeah. They hired a, like a director of high school relations. They were. I remember writing about this four or five years ago. They were ahead of the curve on all that stuff, and they saw the value of it. And again, this this isn't team transfer at TCU. I want to be clear about that. But they learned how to be strategic to add pieces that could help them, you know, accentuate what they uh, what they have. So, I mean, remarkable work by Sonny Dykes. And yeah, I think if you're if you're Cal, you're like, if we had let this guy go now, are the recruiting connections the same? And is there oh, like his no. dad yeah. is his dad Spike Dykes for crying yeah. out loud? Is there a more yeah. Texas coach in the history of Texas than Spike Dykes? Yeah. No, that's uh, cool. Yeah, that was cool in the aftermath yesterday that Sonny said he thought of his dad, Spike Dykes. He thought of Mike Leach, you know, who had a tremendous influence yeah. on him, which, you know, Mike's philosophy obviously was the polar opposite of how Spike, you know, approached offense and what really Mike's approach is opposite of everyone's. But you know, Spike is more <laughs> of a, God. More, yeah, more of an old school uh, approach. But, uh, you know, Sonny has uh, – it, I don't know if you heard this or not, and I hope it doesn't bother him that I shared it. You know, after the segment that we had that you yeah. were a great part of yesterday, um, talking about NIL, transfer portal, what should be done, coaches complaining about tampering and all of that kind of stuff. I was sort of joking with Sonny because he was coming on with Zoom, on Zoom and coming on live with us afterwards. I said, Sonny – uh, do you wish you had been with us for the previous segment, some of which he had heard? And I told him a little bit, bit about it. And uh, so we mentioned hearing the coaches complaining. He said, this this might have made Sonny Dykes my new favorite coach. Because he said, yeah, you know, he said, uh, we coaches 
aren't exactly self-aware sometimes. <laughs> he said coaches aren't known for being self-aware, something like that. It was yeah. uh, it was pretty yeah. hilarious. And uh, I, I had my headset in uh, on the field, yeah. and I laughed heartily at that. And then <laughs> Gaiero and I were watching the Michigan game later. Jim Gaiero, our great game day uh, game day producer, and good good Boston guy who likes it likes a good hearty chuckle <laughs> off yeah. that. So, expense much like me and uh i said actually i think that was the best part of the show and he's like yeah. of course it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was tired it was uh because it was just like teed up and he hit it out of the park yeah he's uh, uh but yeah man i mean I'm, I'm impressed with the job he's done happy for them they've got um you know people who've been there a long time their sid is a man called mark cohen who loves yeah. tcu as much as he loves breathing uh jeremiah donati their ad is a tremendous guy you know who's who's done a done a lot of tough things there, including moving on from Gary Patterson. I and look, I've been open about this. I questioned uh, that, and I also questioned the hire. Sort of like what you were talking about earlier. You didn't look at it like you did Urban Meyer and go, "There he is. There's the next big star." You know, I was like, "Really?" You know, but I mean, man, oh man, you find out that uh, Jeremiah knew what he was doing there, and if the rumors are true, uh, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian is going to be great at Texas, but the if the stories are true that that perhaps he was in line before it was Knicks for the Texas job. Maybe they knew something too, because uh, he's, you know, he's got a chance to win a national championship. But on the other side, you know, Georgia, Georgia is just one step away from, uh, they are the program, uh, the number one program in the sport, but they become the official big picture, 30,000 foot evaluated standard, you know, replacing Alabama as the standard but they have to win the championship while well, the signs, you know, Herb Street's been talking about this, changing the signs at game day from we want Bama uh, to we want Georgia. <laughs> you know, so that's going to be, you know, that's that they need to win. And if they, you yeah. know, if they can win this next one, then they get to change all of the signs from we want Bama to we want Georgia. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Funny little note uh, that's probably a little inside baseball, but Mark Cohen, the great TCUSID, who's been there a long time, been there in the Mountain West days. His son, David, is uh, one of the sports information directors at Cincinnati. So two kind of magical runs uh, that the Cohen family has been a part of the last two years in the CFP. That's pretty That's pretty neat. I remember talking to Mark last year of, about that. Um, he, he's just uh, he, he's been great to me over the years. And he was he was proud and very, very happy for his son because all of us, as, as you um, are learning with Teddy, you're happier for something good to happen to your sure. offspring than you are for yourself. But at the same time, I'm sure Mark was thinking, 
well, you know, we really could have been in this thing in 14. <laughs> but yeah. now, now, nope. now they find now they finally finally got there. So it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see. I want to talk about where we are. Uh, you and I are in Pasadena for the Utah Penn State Rose Bowl game. Going to be an entertaining matchup for sure. But it's also, you know, as they celebrate their 100 year anniversary in, in this stadium and, and so forth. Sort of brings things full circle. We're it's the end of an era because next year it's a semifinal, you know. So it may or may not be the traditional Big Ten Pac-12, and then after that the playoff expands and it may be a quarterfinal. And who knows who'll be playing in it? So you have Pac-12, Big Ten, in an era when things are changing, and uh, the Rose Bowl has sort of been um, the foundation, the immovable cornerstone of nostalgia and tradition. I don't mean to be a, a doomsayer or bring everybody down. But this is kind of it. You know, I mean, not, it'll always be significant. It'll always be a big deal. It'll always have uh, be dripping with nostalgia and beauty and all of those types of things. But in terms of the pure tradition, the way we grew up with it and the way it's been most years, so it's changed a little bit here, uh, here in the last you know decade or so this is sort of the end of an era in, in a lot of ways, potentially. Now, look, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe you get Ohio State and USC next year and it feels like it feels like normal. But in terms of guarantee, this is sort of the end of, end of an era when Utah and Penn State play tomorrow. Yeah. So I've always been a I love first of all, love the Rose Bowl. I'm, I'm going to Reese Davis this and say three compliments before I say what I really think. I love the Rose Bowl. I have great memories from covering games in that stadium from the from the the Vince Young Reggie Bush duel, I covered the uh, and it wasn't the Rose Bowl, but in the Rose Bowl, I covered the Josh Rosen comeback against Texas. A&M. Oh yeah, love yeah. the love. It was great. Just randomly was there on a Sunday. Uh, it was right when I started at Yahoo. It was a great theater. It was Jim Mora versus Kevin Sumlin. Both of whom got fired anyway. So, um, but I was in the stadium when Carl Durrell beat Pete, Pete Carroll to derail one of those USC runs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've certainly obviously covered all the championships games. The, the one we just mentioned, the, the Texas, uh, the if Colt didn't get hurt game, Texas, Alabama. Cecil Hurt, by the way, God bless him, used to mock that line of thinking in such like the delicious, subtle way that Cecil and his sense of humor used to do. It was beautiful how he yeah. used to uh, how he used to mock that. So I have a full appreciation for the Rose Bowl. Love the tradition. Love the setting. Love the San Gabriels. But I'm also sort of a bottom line realist and a bit of a cynic, as people probably realize in in listening to this podcast. And the Rose Bowl, to me, I, I started covering, you know, I would go when I started as a National Colleges writer in 04, I guess, for the New York Times, I would go to the BCS meetings every spring. They'd be in New Orleans or Phoenix or whatever. And it was just like very obvious. And I've written the Rose Bowl has been in the way for some version, just because you saw the capitalism coming and you saw the success of the sports coming. And you heard from Birmingham the grumblings about the Rose Bowl. And the grumblings became roars and they became kind of public. And it was funny to see Brett Yormark this year just come out and just totally just be like, what the F is this? And is like New Jersey snarl, you know, basically <laughs> saying like because it doesn't make sense and it didn't make sense in a parade and nostalgia and a TV contract, which is an important part of it, all all proved a block. And it was one of Jim Delaney's last in a, in a career of great power plays starting the big 10 network um, mm-hmm. all the way through. It was his last great power play to give this Rose bowl, this uh, prime parking spot that the sport mm-hmm. couldn't move it from. And look, the Rose bowl should always be a piece and have a place. 
but it, it it's no longer uh boardwalk and park place you know mm -hmm. they're they're gonna be scattered around some different different places now and i think that's good and i think that's healthy i think it's good for the sport coast to coast i think it's good for the sport to go to different markets i'm i'm in favor of moving championship games so we have to move on and evolve and grow and the rose bowl clinging to what the rose bowl was just didn't seem to make any sense and as, as we're going to talk about i think the big 10 a little bit later and you know you you would read these statements from the rose bowl over the years you just cringe you'd be like do you really believe this you know like the, you really think everybody wants a parade you know well, like I, it just it, you know and there are sentimentalists we have them in our game day crew like you listen mm -hmm. and and i'm always a, a, an open listener right as a reporter my job is to see and hear everything from everyone's perspective right so you have to you have to account for tradition you have to account for that but just for over the years hearing larry scott stump for the rose bowl and to hear jim delaney do it and go back to tom hansen it just feels like this is the right time for there to be a reset of the rose bowl's place in in the universe and i, I I just, but I'm going to be blunt, Reese. I'm not going to miss it the same way Kirk is going to miss it, if, yeah. if that makes sense. And I'm not going to miss it. We're, we're, you know, probably a decade apart in age, maybe a little bit more. You, but you did grow up a little more traditional college football. I grew up in more of a pro market. And I certainly mm -hmm. love college football in a similar way, but I maybe don't have some of those same like heartstring pulls to it. And mm -hmm. I just think mm -hmm. this is a nod to the evolution of the sport and it's healthy for everybody. And I respect the people who have the sentimental pull but you're just not going to find it here. Yeah, it's. I, I think one of the differences is is that the Rose Bowl, the, the wonderful people who, who do a spectacular job with organizing, it's a it's a piece of the puzzle and a slice of Americana to them, and it's not just about the college football component of it. And I think because of that, that's made it a little bit more difficult over the years for. Uh, many of the people, you know, representing the Tournament of Roses and Rose Bowl, to see it from the perspective that you're talking about, and you know, Kirk even has a different sentimental attachment, having grown up in Big Ten country, sure, uh, to the Rose Bowl than than I did because the teams that I grew up following, sure. I, I followed all of it because I was I was a nerd, but that I grew up following most closely couldn't go there at that time. Yet, sure. the, yet my school has it in the fight song, you know, because that was a seminal moment that put Alabama on the map. It, you know, in the fight song, it says, remember the Rose Bowl will win that. And, you know, so there, there is some sentimentality, I think, for people, regardless if they're just in Big Ten, Pac-10, Pac-8, Pac-10, and Pac-12 at times, because there was a history, a period of time, which the Rose Bowl wasn't tied to just those schools. But I, you know, I do, I agree with you. And, I, and that's the thing I think that's hard sometimes. I am a traditionalist and believe that the strength of the sport is some of the emotional ties that, that bind the game to the fans that is unlike the professional model. That said, the sport has evolved. The business model has evolved. Players and their outlook on it have evolved to a different place. And if you want to still have a chance to appreciate those things you value from the past, the tradition, you can't be, you can't use it like an anchor that keeps you from moving and you have to move and it has to move now and it's time to move. And I, I largely agree with you in terms of it, it was time for the Rose Bowl to, to continue on and be part of this 
or take their chances separating. And I'm glad that they've chosen to go ahead and, and be part of it and still have a place because I think when they do that, we can still have the opportunity to celebrate what it has meant to the foundation of the game that has allowed it to progress to the point the way we're going right now with expanded playoffs and player compensation and maybe collective bargaining and, and all of these things that, are, that I think will happen, that must happen in order for the future of the uh, sport to be healthy and for it to survive at the level that we want it to. Um, you know, all of those things have to happen. It's good that the Rose Bowl is going to be a piece of it. So sentimentality aside, have you been to SoFi Stadium? I've I've not seen a game there, but I've been okay. to the stadium. Yes. Okay. So I've yeah. not seen the game there, nor have I been there. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of excited. Just like I, I'm not a stadium nerd, but like it mm. looks awesome. I mean, yeah. look, we've all been in stadiums. We've been lucky. I go to Jerry World and Mercedes Benz and see these things. It looked is it is it as cool? Should I be excited? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. Awesome. Very very awesome. cool. It's uh. My favorite stadium, and I don't think my friends at the Peach Bowl angry having just left there, but my I think the best stadium is still Jerry World. It has everything. And, I mean, everything is perfect there. I can't think of a single thing that I think – I guess maybe they needed to raise the video board so punters didn't hit it from time to time. But, you know, I mean, that stadium – place is like 14 years old, as somebody told me when we were there. Which is amazing. And, you know, it's yeah. – uh, you, you talk, Jerry World's fourteen. Is that yeah, what? Jerry, I, it was, yeah, Jerry. It's oh, it's double digits. Maybe it's twelve. I, I we can certainly Google this, but it's not about, like, yeah, it's not like six years old. You know what I mean? It's been around a little bit. It's you know, I mean, I cover the Final Four there. I remember the game when Chip Kelly was at Oregon, where Honey Badger ripped the ball mm -hmm. from the punt returner. That was a pretty good amount of time ago. That's like mid to the oh seven oh eight something like that. Yeah. So it's you know, it is it is certainly uh, it is aged well, and they've kept yeah. it up and. Uh, yeah, that's a spectacular. Uh, that's a spectacular place. Is SoFi nicer than Jerry World? Um, I haven't explored it enough to be able to make that judgment because I was okay. just there for an event that was not a, a sporting event. wasn't a concert. It was a a, a, a college football playoff sponsor type event in the off season. So you kind of okay. got to look around. But I, I'm interested. Yeah. I'm interested to see um, to see if it if it measures up. That that's the thing is it will there will be more creature comforts there across town at SoFi than you'll have in Pasadena. It's not sure. it's certainly not as picturesque. It's not even oh, in the, no. not even yeah. in the same realm in terms yeah. of that. But there'll be more creature comforts there than than there are at the Rose Bowl. And that's something that's something that's also part of progress in marketing too in the sport. And yes. I, what would you think about uh, an idea that was presented to me while we were in Atlanta that rather than move the championship game to different pro markets and places it hasn't been like, you know, I think there was um, some maybe it was weather related, but I think some in Georgia didn't love everything about being an indie, you know, uh, last year. What did you think about? I it? didn't love being an indie last yeah, year. Let's be honest, it miserable. It's a great yeah. Final Four town, though, because it's a little bit warm. It is, yeah, yes. But um, and and it's everything's condensed, and you're at the Final Four for three, four days. Yeah. So, but like a football game is like an event, like yeah. you know, put it in San Diego. You know what I mean? Like it just. Wait, would uh, you want to put it in San Diego, or would you? like the double hosting model that it rotates among the new year's six games. Hmm. The championship games and they double host it as they used to in the, uh, like for yeah. instance, you know, that you would play the semifinal in, uh, in Arizona or Atlanta yesterday. And then you come back 10 days later and you play the championship game in, in one of those places. Yeah. I, I have no, I have no, I don't, 
I don't spend a lot of time and energy thinking about this stuff, right? Like that you can go down the rabbit hole with final four sites and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm happy to go. I'm happy to go where it is. I'm not, I'm not a snob about any of it. <laughs> if it's December, I would prefer to be 70 degrees than negative seven. Agreed. Like, right. You know, I would probably yeah. still wear a negative. I would probably still wear a goofy winter hat, no matter what the temperature was, but I, you know, just, you know, just generally being here in California today, walking outside to like, Go get a cup of coffee. It feels good. You know, I mean, it's just it's a perk up when you, and I live in the, the 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 dark northeast. So it's it's a nice uh, it's, that little yellow orb can change your perspective a little bit, can even add a little sunshine to my dark heart. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I, I rolled my eyes at like the Big Ten needs it in Big Ten country. It's like, you know, I, oh, yeah, no. should those fans be able to drive? I don't think so. I don't the, think so. the, the like, people in Penn State fans are very happy to be in Southern California. Uh, yes, there's no doubt. Yes. So, so let's let's talk about the Big Ten a little bit. I yeah. I sort of uh, maybe I've been around you. I sort of snarkily said at one point last night that it's been a really uh, rough month for B1G because in the span of a month they lost three playoff teams. If you want to count USC, and, and they, might, they might be about to lose their commissioner too. So, yeah. uh, what you broke the story on the commissioner of the Big Ten, Kevin Warren, who, you know, was at the helm for the extension and the uh, landing of USC and UCLA, and now his candidacy to lead the Chicago Bears. Where do we stand on that right now? Yeah, I think we'll have some clarity on Kevin Warren's candidacy with the Bears in the next couple of weeks, Reese, if not, uh, if not sooner than that. Um, he has gone way down the path of interviewing for this job. And I think you have a pretty good feel for like, when you have one of these high end jobs in sports, it's not like you're the assistant marketing manager and you're trying to go be the marketing manager somewhere. When you have a, when you have a destination job, it is, you know, you, you, you interview for other jobs with some assumed risk, meaning like if people find out about this, it can affect you in, in your current place of employment. So there has been a clear path of Kevin Warren eyeing the NFL since he's gotten to, and really other professional sports too, quite frankly, since he's gotten to the Big Ten. And so here he is in his own city going to the Bears to interview for this job. I, I, I think everything lines up for him to get the job. Now, again, me predicting who the Chicago Bears are going to hire is, is a little bit naive because that's just not my world mm -hmm. and, not, and, not, and not everything. But I have a hard time believing Kevin Warren would be this deeply engaged in a job if he only had a you know a small percent of a chance to get it now kevin warren's skill set fits very well he was the coo of the minnesota vikings when they built us bank stadium which is a beautiful stadium in downtown minneapolis the bears have a bunch of land they've agreed to purchase i believe is the right term in arlington heights 326 acres so a similar project they are about to embark on and of the finalists that i know of for that bears job his skill set most directly applies. And he would be, you know, the a lot of times when you get in these jobs, you hire the safest guy. He would seem to be the most logical and safest guy. So is it done? No, it's not done. Do a lot of people expect it to be done? Yes. If he doesn't get it, does it get interesting at the Big Ten? I think it does. I, I think there'd be some there there could be some difficult decisions to be made. So yeah, the Big Ten, it was it was weird timing because obviously the Big Ten's about to have this moment. And it all, uh, you know, it all kind of crashed down on them on Saturday amid the, that that sort of joyous day of football that we all consumed and enjoyed so much. It was it was not a good day for the Big Ten because two balls bounce two different ways mm -hmm. and they've got Michigan, Ohio State. It's like the 
the final four Duke Carolina matchup on steroids. And it's, you know, one of the biggest stories matchups on paper in the history of the sport. I mean, it's just absolute chaos bonkers. And instead now they, they wake up on new year's, like a lot of people <laughs> wondering what the heck happened and not maybe having a commissioner within the next couple of weeks. So it's an interesting moment in time for that, uh, for, for, for that conference. It, you do wonder if his return would be untenable because while the sport, the enterprise is changing quickly, memories are long in, in this sport. And if you don't, if, if you give the perception that you would rather be elsewhere, um, I don't know that anyone begrudges that, but then they're not exactly always just saying, hey, come on back in and ready to give you a hug, especially uh, when Kevin's tenure at the beginning was tumultuous, to put it kindly, um, and not just not just COVID related. He was a little bit of a surprise, uh, a little bit of a surprise candidate and hire. There were there were others who felt like that, um, that there were some people with more uh, deep with deeper roots in Big Ten areas that might ha- might have gotten that job that did not. So you know, it, it was a, there. It's not like there's this long history. Uh, between Kevin Warren and the Big Ten that would make it just all happy, happy, joy, joy. If he, of course, one thing we probably shouldn't, uh, not that anybody really cares, we're a little bit down a rabbit hole. People probably rather hear us talk about Max Duggan or something. But, um, you know, he wasn't wasn't at either game yesterday, but that was logistics Mm -hmm. and avoiding playing favorites. And I think that's probably fair to say. You have Michigan and Arizona and Ohio State and Atlanta. It's hard to make both, you know. No, that that makes sense. So let's uh, let's go. Let's go back to uh, the fun, the fun talkative and undisciplined speculation that we often do. If so, the two looming things that could happen in the Big Ten would be Kevin Warren's potential departure. And then Jim Harbaugh is back in the NFL coaching conversational cycle. Who would you hire for both those jobs if those gentlemen were to leave? Uh, Well, the the Big Ten commissioner is easy. And again, uh, it would be it would be Jim Phillips of the ACC if if depending I don't know what his contract how his contract reads or anything like that but uh, that's who I would hire I've got great regard for him personally the Michigan coaching situation is far more complicated because I don't think there's the obvious candidate uh, that there was when when Jim left the first time so um, the guy probably I would have turned to first if you could have convinced him to do it just got hired at Wisconsin. Uh, Luke Fickle, so he probably wouldn't go there. I think he would he would be a great fit, um, but you know you're not going to do that now. So if Jim leaves, I don't know. Do you give Mike McDonald a shot at it after what he did? I think he's a name. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a he's he's a name. Uh, so and to clarify, in case people and most people know, but he was a defensive yeah. coordinator for Michigan last year. Been with the Ravens previously. Went back to the Ravens this year. Uh, really bright young coach. I, I I think so. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that no 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 no. People aren't sure about that name. Yeah, that that's fine. So I think if Jim had left last year, if the Vikings had ended up hiring him, I think Matt Rule and Luke Fickle would have been the top two names. And mm-hmm. I think that's like sometimes these searches are like, oh, that makes sense. That's easy. Um, this time around, it's not easy. I think so. Two names, if I, if I had to like do a list of five names, I would put Mike McDonald on it for sure. Um, I think Bill O'Brien would be a name there. Success at a academically oriented Big Ten institution, credibility, 
brings mm-hmm. pro style, kind of fits East Coast. Michigan's kind of an East Coast place yeah. in the Midwest in some ways. Yeah. So I think he just fits the sensibilities of uh, of that place. I would not write off Matt Campbell, um, who probably would have been in the mix last year. Uh, had success at Toledo, has been very good at Iowa State. I am a big believer in not letting one year sort of warp the the realities of of you know of of the body of work. And the body of work at Iowa State is still defined a lot of uh, a lot of gravity. I'll throw a wild card name in Reese. Uh, and we talked about him earlier on the podcast. It's Mike Elko. Yeah. He's been that's... the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. He's been the defensive coordinator at Bowling Green, which is geographically very close. So that means in that footprint, he knows every high school coach and he's coached some of their guys and there's some credibility. And he's, you know, Michigan identifies with Duke in a lot of ways institutionally more than they do Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. Just it's sort of who they are. Mi- Michigan would like to hire the Duke coach more than it would like to hire the UTSA coach, right? Yeah. So I just think there's, again, is he a top, is he the top candidate? No. Does that name make a lot of sense when you start to go, okay, who are lower tier power five guys who could get the call? I think his name, uh, his name makes some sense there. Um, I think Sharon Moore and staff would get a look. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's been going to get a job someplace. Yes, exactly. And, and I think, uh, I think he would certainly, you know, certainly deserve a look. Jesse Minter has been very good there. Um, Mm -hmm. He was a Broyles finalist this year. He's only been there for a year. Um, He's sort of like the McDonald, a McDonald esque correct. Yeah, well, he yeah. was a McDonald acolyte. Yeah. in Baltimore, went worked with Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, and then came and he really did remarkable work. Um, mm-hmm. I think this year, obviously, Saturday wasn't his best day, but when you look, I mean, they were they, it, the, the remarkable part about TCU hanging fifty one on them. They gave up on average thirteen point four points per game. Mm-hmm. So. Don't, don't tell me all of a sudden they're, they're not going to be able to move the ball on Georgia. I'm not saying yeah. they're going to score 51, but like they, they're going to be able to move the ball. Like they, right. they have a big offensive line. And again, I hope Kendry Miller's healthy because I think he's a wonderful player and back. So long story short, a Michigan search right now would be pretty interesting. It would not be linear. It would not be obvious. It would be uh, a big story hanging over the sport. I, I should have thought of Matt Campbell immediately too. Now, honesty compels me to say though I'm, I'm really impressed with what he's done. If I were hiring, the first question I would ask Matt Campbell is, I know what you stand for. I'm impressed with what you've done at Iowa State. Um, It's remarkable because that is one of the most difficult places to win in the country. And then I would say, why do you lose so many close games? And I would want to hear his answer. I would be willing to accept his answer, whatever it was that, you know, maybe it's something that would be solved at Michigan. But I would want to confront him with that and and hear what he had to say about it. Um, yeah. You know, but it, it's not a disqualifying trait. That would be and I bring that up only to say that that's the only question I would have about hiring him. Character, leadership, uh, winning at a tough place, developing players, finding diamonds in the rough, relating to everything else he's got. I would just want to know that. You know, because they have yeah. pulled some upsets, but they've lost a boat load. No question. And no I would question. want to know what the answer is about that. And yeah. if if he if and what he feels like the answer to it is. Again, yeah. not disqualifying. I'm just when you make a hire like that, you're gonna dive way down in the weeds. That would be my way down in the weeds question because I don't have any mm-hmm. other questions about him from a character standpoint, leadership standpoint, or anything else. He'd be he'd be great there, I think. Yeah. So let me give you three more names that just came in my head and I didn't like have a scratch list here. So these yeah. aren't in like 
ranked order that I would yeah. probably put O'Brien uh, Campbell high. Dave Clawson fits Michigan in a yeah. lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, and especially at this moment in time with name, image, and likeness, and his quarterbacks going to Notre Dame, those those academic jobs are not easy. Uh, PJ Fleck. Now, Michigan fans may not love. P.J. Fleck. He was at Western Michigan for a long time, did the greatest coaching job in the history of that school, is an elite recruiter, no pun intended. And winning nine games at Minnesota is not easy. Right. And he is he has turned that into that. And in the style he plays is a smash mouth style mm-hmm. that would be befitting of Michigan. And to see how he could unleash that recruiting machine there would be pretty interesting. And the last one is Chris Kleiman. Um, who again, from that footprint, North Dakota state national title winner, obviously they didn't have the greatest day against Alabama. Well, Alabama's pretty good, but Chris Kleiman can build teams and win football games. And that no nonsense, that would be appealing at Michigan. So they'd have plenty of good options. I'm not sitting here saying that. I just don't know. None of those are like obvious. Let's get on the plane and go get him and bring him back. Like Mm -hmm. there'd be, they're very, they're all excellent coaches, but it's just a little different. I it's a, it's a great one. So now I will throw one at you that I don't yeah. think is likely, uh, not for Michigan. What if Ohio State had a search come open? And I haven't heard anything about that. You're you're more plugged into that type of thing than I. But I'm only basing it on the fact that I think Ryan Day is an excellent offensive coach. He has an NFL background. I can see where that might be appealing to to some NFL teams. Um, let's say he decided to give it a whirl. What would Ohio State do? It's it's a good question. And r- there's been NFL interest in Ryan Day. Um, and do I think Ryan Day is the coach at Ohio State for 15 years? Pro- probably not. Um, I do see him going going a few more. I haven't seen any signs of like searching for an exit. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But um, an NFL off-ramp, you know, he wouldn't go coach at college somewhere else. Um, an NFL off-ramp at some juncture seems feasible. Who would Ohio State hire? So we were chatting about this uh, a little bit. Um, so Mike Vrabel would come to mind, right? So you okay? First of all, it would have been Luke Fickle forever and a day. Gene mm-hmm. Smith loves Luke Fickle. Gene Smith called Mike Bone at Cincinnati and stood on the table for Luke Fickle to be hired at Cincinnati, and that was one of the best hires in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I, I did a story at Fickle at Cincinnati, and I called Gene, and he said, "If all of our student athletes at Ohio State." could be like Luke Fickle, we know we'd be doing our jobs well. Like there is a unbelievable respect there. Um, Luke is so hardcore Ohio State. His wife actually, her dorm was in the stadium when she was there. Like that's how like ingrained the Fickles are in Ohio. This will be the first time that uh, Luke and Amy Fickle have lived outside the state of Ohio in their lives. Luke had a cup of coffee with the Saints as a player, as like a practice squad guy. So other than that, so they are Ohio through and through, but Luke, it's, Luke Fickle is not a part-time guy. He's not a jump-around guy. And no pun mm-hmm. intended. At Wisconsin, ah, um, good so if that if that job opened now, I, I don't think you could. I don't think you could hire him. So who do you hire at Ohio State? That's a you know, that's that's an interesting question. I mean, th- probably some name overlap from the, from the jobs you just mentioned. Obviously, mm-hmm. Matt Campbell would would crawl there. Um, yeah. I mean. I think Michigan's a top ten job and Ohio State's a top three job when you yeah. when you when you when you gauge it all. But though that gives you, you know, that gives you a different uh, a different set of options. Internally, there would be momentum for Brian Hartline. Mm-hmm. He is a dynamic leader. He's obviously the best recruiter 
on that staff and one of the best in the country, and he has really helped form an identity there. Uh, he's elite in front of a team. If you've ever seen Brian Hartline stand up and address a team like that, so much of coaching, people go X's and O's and this game and that game and all this stuff. Like coaching is day-to-day standing up in front of your team, giving a message because it's teaching. You are in front of your classroom. And that's what, when, you know, you and I have been lucky enough to be in these buildings, be around these guys. When you see someone to stand up, address their team and they have everybody at attention, everybody's locked in. That's a gift. And that's not a, that's a, that's a, you know, that's not, not nothing you would read in a manual or watch a YouTube video and, uh, and, and learn. So, um, you know, I, I would have to think about it a little bit, you know, a good outside the box name for a couple of these jobs is Kalen DeBoer. Yeah. All that guy's ever done is win. Right. Yeah. And he's did an at NAIA at division two, um, goes to Washington, gives that program, that same type of surge. We're talking about Sonny given TCU and Mike Elko given Duke. Um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty good name. And he has some Midwestern sensibilities that would, that would fit Ohio state. That's probably even, that's probably a little bit of a reach, but I'm just trying to think of like a different set of names than the, uh, than the ones we, that the ones we talked about with, with Michigan, who would you hire Reese? It's a great question. I mean, this I, is, this is I, my I kind of parlor game. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know the answer to it, but uh, after you brought up PJ from Michigan with PJ's reverence for Jim Tressel, to the point that he dresses like him, you know, I mean, Loves him. Uh, that, that is, um, there is something I, I really am fond of PJ. And I think he's also smart enough that he would address, um, I don't want to say modify, but he would, he could read the room about his approach because some of his approach to his team, which he's brilliant in front of a crowd, whether it's his team really good. or just, uh, just other, other people, he reads the room really well. Some of that resonates at Western Michigan where you're fighting upward and even at Minnesota where you're fighting upward at Ohio State, you're not doing that. You're, you know, you or Michigan, really, but especially at Ohio State, you're sort of you're, you're the you're the master of your domain, so to speak. And you have to you have to motivate from the top. And that's, uh, you know, that's sometimes a different skill set. But I think PJ's probably wise enough and smart enough to be able to modify his approach appropriately uh, to it. So. Uh, that would be that would be an interesting name too, I think. But it, I mean, I'm not trying to get Ryan Day out. I hope he stays in college football. But you know, the, the he called a heck of a game the other night, man. He, I, I mean, you tremendous. can you can second guess the field goal sequence if you want. But he called a really other good football that, game. Yeah. Oh, and just got was. and just had some bad luck and and alert and just enough on the 40 time left for Kirby Smart. Uh, and enough left on the reflexes to call the timeout, or that fake punt works, and and maybe maybe that game goes a different way too. But he was he was sensational. And any of the fans, whether it's Michigan fans, Ohio State fans, anybody else, we might talk about with their job. Never forget this mantra: If nobody else wants your coach, sooner or later you won't want him either. So it's a compliment. When we're talking about Ryan Day might go to the NFL, they don't hire bad coaches to go to the NFL or guys who don't know what they're doing. So when we say Ryan Harbaugh, uh, Ryan Day or Jim Harbaugh might go to the NFL. That's a good thing. That means your program's winning. That means your coach is successful and he's coveted. And it's your job to try to do what you can to keep him keep him there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, we've covered some ground, Reese. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. Yeah. You, uh, one thing I would highly recommend, you've probably already been there, Rose Bowl elite level uh hospitality situation here uh so go go get yourself a cookie or something and enjoy oh where is it it's uh it's on the second floor lobby level don't don't miss that and that's uh 
Okay. That's All a good right. thing. I, I appreciate that. I this we're at this weird sprawling place. I, I took me half an hour to find a cup of coffee today. So um yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sputtering along here today, uh after uh after a late night and early morning, but what what like a glorious adrenaline rush what? off a day like yesterday. It just make like that just it just is so satisfying for what we do and how much we love the sport to just see the sport on display like that in uh in just the the highest tension and fashion was was really really cool we get to have more on january 2nd and then more from the college game day podcast leading up to georgia and tcu for the national championship uh pete and i will be back with you soon hope you check out game day if you're downloading this podcast in time on monday the second it'll be on an hour later 10 a.m eastern time on ESPN uh, leading into another day of football. This has been the College Game Day Podcast. Download it wherever you prefer to get your podcasts.